0: The Axe of the Blood God. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Cat Bailey. With me today is our co host, Nadia Oxford, Hello. and also a number three guest who is joining us for the first time in quite a while, our fearless leader, Jeremy Parrish.
1: Yay! I don't know that I'm actually fearless.
0: (laughs) He's a leader, though. I'm so afraid of E3. The fearful leader (laughs) heading into E3. It's a little terrifying, but a little later, we're going to have Elliot Gay back on the show to talk about Super Robot Wars V, or 5. I assume it's V, because...
1: How, How many episodes on Super Robot Wars have you done now, Kat?
0: Um, well, this is a new game, so it's okay for me to talk about it again.
1: I I, I just think that I have a suspicion that the density of um, Robot Wars talk on this podcast is perhaps higher than any other on the internet.
0: I would actually think that's probably accurate. Yeah, and just wait, wait until edit. we get Austin Walker on here. It's going to be amazing. But a little later, <laughs> um, and then... Nadia and I are also going to do an Odin's Fear Left Razir review-ish type conversation. That'll be happening a little later. So pretty packed podcast. But first, the reason I have you here on the show, Jeremy, the moment that we've all been waiting for, angels come down from on high, Final Fantasy XII is in fact getting an HD remake. We never thought this day would come, but now it is Jeremy... It is widely known that Final Fantasy Twelve is probably your favorite Final Fantasy. One of your favorite games ever. What about this game speaks to you so deeply?
1: Uh, it is an, a very for-the-time progressive open-world RPG directed primarily by Yasumi Matsuno, the creator of Final Fantasy Tactics. So there's nothing about that sentence that sounds bad to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was just like, you know, Final Fantasy, like all series, has growing pains, and some Final Fantasies I like more than others. Um, Final Fantasy Seven, you know, it's it's got its moments. It's got some things that I am looking forward to seeing overhauled in the remake. Final Fantasy Eight I loved because it was just so off the wall and weird. Final <laughs> Fantasy Nine was a was a big disappointment because it tried to go for like nostalgia, and really compromised on the weirdness and innovation that I look for in Final Fantasy.
0: Quick hide, the Final Fantasy IX Mafia is going to come from us. <laughs>
1: Seriously. Too bad. You've doomed um, us all. So, you know, it, it's kind of like, it, it goes back and forth. Um, <clears throat> Final Fantasy XI was probably, like, the most offensive, like, you know, daring people to like it, Final Fantasy game, just because it was an MMO. Um, but then, you know, Final Fantasy Twelve came out, and it had a different creative team than usual. It, it wasn't a Yasinori, uh, Yoshinori Kitase game. Um, aside from some of the character designs, it didn't have any involvement from Tetsuya Nomura. Um, it was just like a different team. It was Yasumi Matsuno and um, what's his face? Uh, Minagawa, the, uh, one of the, like, the, the visual art directors, um, and Yaki, uh, Akihiko Yoshida, the character designer and and kind of overall general visual designer, like they had all worked together on vagrant story and final fantasy tactics. And they kind of created this unique vibe that really stands apart from other final fantasy games. And they brought that over. And then at the same time, they really changed up how the systems and everything worked by, I think looking to final fantasy XI and saying, you know, we don't want to make an MMO, but that doesn't mean we should throw out every idea that came into being with Final Fantasy XI. So they, they kind of turned it into a single-player MMO game um, by by kind of giving you that, you know, free-roaming, open-world feel, uh, very macro-based combat, um, wh- which at the same time, like, it's kind of a controversial element of the, of the, the game, is that the combat system you can make it play itself basically by programming <laughs> your characters and giving them action sets, but you can't just cruise through the entire game automatically. Like you constantly have to tweak and reconfigure your team setups as they grow and gain new skills. And as uh, you know, combi- as different circumstances dictate. And also there are a lot of battles where if you just, you know, let the game play itself, you'll die horribly. You have to step in and micromanage. So it kind of, you know, without totally relinquishing game control, it at the same time it took a lot of the, the monotony and tedium out of the game. It was really like basically saying, yeah, don't worry about, you know, the random encounters and stepping away from exploration to hit, you know, attack, attack, heal, attack, magic, attack, heal. Like we'll do that for you. You focus on exploring the world and going out and, you know, just, seeing what's out there. And I appreciated that. It was like, you know, not not holding my hand and not limiting me. I mean, it's it's really remarkable the kind of openness that the game has because you can walk in places that you have no business being and you can actually sneak through certain certain zones that, to get to places where you shouldn't be and, and kind of sequence break the game. And it still works. Like there was a, I can't remember exactly where it is, but... Uh, Like, I I skipped over kind of a big chunk of the game by saying, I wonder if I could go over here. And there were hard, you know, really difficult monsters that were way over-leveled for me. But I used kind of the combat system to maneuver around them and uh, got to where I wanted to be and opened up this other part of the world. And then I went back later and just kind of stomped through everything that was in that area I had skipped because I'd leveled up enough. And, (laughs) you know, I like when games let me do that. Um, And it it does a lot of really... Um, are really really great things like it has the game begins in sort of the the biggest city in the world Rabanastra and it's really beautifully designed and it's really large and really intricate Um, in terms of scale I would say it's right around on par with the Citadel and the original Mass Effect like it's just a really big place and there's a lot happening there but then you go out into the world and there's all kinds of stuff happening there too and I don't know. It just felt very alive, and it felt very, um, very open to be played however you really want to play it, and that's something you don't see a lot in Final Fantasy. I mean, Final Fantasy X was basically like, it was just as linear as Final Fantasy XIII. It was walking down a hallway to the end of the game, uh, and twelve really broke away from that. And you know, the it's not necessarily the most popular game in the series because it is so different. But it was so forward-thinking, and uh, like it just hit all the, the buttons that, that work for me. Uh, so I really, really enjoyed it. But the funny thing is, I've never actually finished the game, uh, <laughs> because it came at the end of the PS2's life, and um, I wasn't able to get my save file properly over to my PS3. To play it which is a shame because i had a launch ps3 so you know it could play upscaled games and it looked nice you on had PC to get a CD. special
0: adapter to plug in your memory yeah cards. I, I had
1: that and for whatever hmm. reason my my final fantasy 12 saves didn't carry over correctly oh, so that's too bad. oh that's too bad it was it was a loss so i lost like 80 or 90 hours of gameplay oh i ooh, brutal it's okay like i've i've always thought you know when they when they do an hd redux of this I will finally go back and play all the way through it. And <laughs> yeah. um the time has come. I'm surprised it's taken this long, but it's finally come.
0: You know, I've always. I feel like Final Fantasy XII never really got a fair shake because it's so bound up in the context of its time. I mean, there's a pretty famous story of when Final Fantasy XII first launched in Japan, the first fan who walked up to, I think, Katase maybe, or not Katase, somebody from Square Enix. Uh, basically, took the game and then bowed and said, "Please remake Final Fantasy VII," and that just became the that became the narrative, right? Like people were saying, well, "I don't, you're being different and weird and inventive and creative. I hate creativity. I hate different and weird. I want my comfort food. I want my Final Fantasy VII." And I feel like Final Fantasy Twelve, fair or not, is often viewed by a lot of fans as kind of the definitive breaking point between the Sakaguchi era, like the initial era of Final Fantasy that people regard as good, and then the post-Sakaguchi era, which often is not regarded as very good. And fairly enough, Final Fantasy XII gets wrapped into that. So one thing that I'm really looking forward to about this remake is that given a decade of hindsight and also the fact that people are finally getting their stupid Final Fantasy VII remake, maybe we can finally appreciate Final Fantasy XII on its own merits. Yeah, I know,
1: you know, I, I I think you're right about that that sort of perceptual bias. But the thing is, Final Fantasy XII was announced at the same time as ten and eleven. Like they mm. said, we're going to make three Final Fantasy games. One of them is going to be like you know the next final fantasy one of them is going to be an mmo and one of them is going to be a crazy game by the <laughs> maker of final fantasy tactics that was that was known in like 2000 yep i remember part, it, yeah a big part of final fantasy 12 is that it had such a troubled development cycle and i don't know the full story there there's speculation but basically uh yasunori mitsuda um or pff, matsuno sorry um Matsuno left the, the, the project. He had health problems and stepped away, and then you know some other people took over. Um, Akitoji Kawazu, the, the creator of the Mana, uh, Legend of Mana, and the Saga games. And uh, people blame kind of like the weirdness of the, the end game on uh, Kawazu. I don't know if that's fair or not. But um, the problems that Final Fantasy XII encountered made a mess of the Final Fantasy series that, it's, that the series is still recovering from. Mm -hmm. final fantasy 13 was supposed to be a playstation 2 game but because final fantasy 12 was delayed for so long uh they ended up having to push it to ps3 and that was a disaster because they decided to rebuild an engine from scratch and you know the expectations for ps3 graphics were so much higher than for ps2 so yeah it just it was a chain reaction domino effect and um
0: that so, was exacerbated you know, by the structural problems that Square Enix was having at that time.
1: Yeah, I mean Square was going to have a rough time transitioning into the HD era no matter what. That was just unavoidable as a consequence of, of their structure internally. But um, 12 made it worse. Like they 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 might have had more of like a traditional Final Fantasy 13 uh, at the very end of the PS2 era to sort of tie them along until they could get their, you know, get things oriented on PS3, but that didn't happen because 12 was so, so troubled.
0: So um, one of the things that this final fantasy 12 HD remake is going to have is the Zodiac job system. Um, up until now, this new, this new variant has never come out in the U S it was a Japan only. It was limited to the final fantasy 12 international version over in Japan. Um, I think that a lot of our listeners are interested to know what the heck this thing is, but aren't entirely familiar with it. Could you kind of explain it, Jeremy?
1: Um, you know, I haven't really ever played the, uh, Zodiac international version because I, you know, I, I saw it many times in Japan and was like, oh, I should pick this up, but I realized I'd just be buying it to sit on my shelf. Like, PS2 <laughs> yeah, they could play it. So I never did. But my understanding is that the biggest thing that the Zodiac international version does is apply some limitations to character uh, development. So the the thing about the original Final Fantasy twelve is that you can basically so the you know the, every every get Final Fantasy has its own character development system, and twelve system seems to be an expansion on tens sphere grid, where you basically have like this board, um, and you say okay I want this ability, and then from there you can gain points and buy adjacent abilities. Um, but the thing about the the license board in Final Fantasy XII is it's really open and there's there's no limitation. Like in Final Fantasy X, the sphere grid puts characters in very specific starting places and it, it has like... It, it gives you the ability to sort of break out of the predefined grooves for each character, but the cost in experience points or AP or whatever it is, is extremely high. So it's, it's something you can consciously do, but... At a cost, whereas in twelve, it's pretty much just like you can do whatever you want, <laughs> and at, by by the end of the game, you end up with these characters that are all pretty much exactly the same. Um, like everyone has every skill and does everything. It's kind of like Final Fantasy VI, actually, where oh yeah, you know, you can use the Esper system to just turn everyone into a god, <laughs> and um, you know that that's some people like doing that, but other people feel like it really restricts the freedom or, you know, that the, the it not restricts the freedom, but it's too much freedom and it limits the appeal of the game by making it too easy and taking away interesting limitations. So what the Zodiac system does is basically force you to define each character according to a job. You know, it's kind of like final fantasy five um, where you have like a job for each character. But the thing is, these are permanent. You can't just switch around. I think you can have, like two jobs for each character and there are certain skills associated with those jobs and that's it. Like Ooh. once you define the, the path for your character, like if you want Pinelo to be a ninja slash white mage, all you're going to do with her is learn ninja slash white mage abilities. And the only weapons you're going to be able to wield are katanas and staves. So instead of everyone being able to do whatever they want, anytime they want, uh, it becomes much more restrictive, and it forces you to build a party, you know, with with complementary skills and so forth. Whereas, you know, the original twelve, it was pretty much like ah, I like the way this character looks better, so I am going to put them in the lead. And again, you know, that's pretty much that was the case with Final Fantasy six VI and seven, where it was pretty much just like I like this character best, and they have like one unique skill, uh, so I will use them. Twelve's uh, Zodiac International system gets rid of that and makes you. Build a party and commit to it, and I think you have you have six party members, and I think there are twelve classes, so you can have the full. I think you can have the full spread of, of classes available, but you know that's only if everyone kind of generalizes. Uh, you, you don't want to double up if you do that, so it forces you to make some tough decisions and stick with them.
0: I and think I'm going to be playing the Zodiac system just because my recollection of Final Fantasy XII's license board was that. Uh, yeah, like that sense of overwhelming freedom um, was actually kind of intimidating. Uh, <laughs> I relate. And it felt kind of messy, to be perfectly honest. So I, I think having those limitations will be comforting. Um, which version are you going to be playing, Jeremy?
1: Um, I'll, I'll definitely play uh, the Zodiac system. Uh, I mean, I'll probably play it through both ways. But Zodiac system is interesting to me because... Um, yeah, I, I tended to kind of specialize my characters anyway and use them for specific traits. Like I said, you know, Vaughn, the main character, is kind of like a rogue thief, so I'll just keep using him as a thief. Um, and I adjusted my gambits accordingly and never really switched from that. Like I would, you know, branch out a little bit, but I didn't use everyone as multipurpose. Like I tended to specialize more. That that mostly goes away at the end of the game. Um But that's, you know, I'm okay with that. And I I don't know what other tweaks from the Zodiac International system are carrying over. I assume all of them. Like, the Zodiac International version of the game also had, uh, like, a high stat mode where you started out as gods, basically. It had a low stat mode where you started out as, like, level one and could never level up. So everything you did had to be based on uh, your weapon stats and so forth. Um, It also took away the weird... um, treasure chest system where like, you had to open certain chests in certain order with no indication that you needed to do that. And if you didn't do it just right, then you screwed yourself out of getting like a god-tier weapon really early in the game. Ouch. Which makes some people really angry, but to me it was like an easter egg. So I, I don't know why people get really bent out of shape about an obscure easter egg. It's like, you if you actually follow through with that process and get the Zodiac spear early you're kind of breaking the game, which, you know, uh, it's like people are complaining they can't break the game. People are complaining they can break the game. So basically the Zodiac system just tries to, you know, fix all those
0: things. One thing that I'm kind of interested in is to see Final Fantasy XII in the context of where RPGs have developed over the past decade. Because in 2006, Final Fantasy XII was, like, really, like, I would say just really different from what yeah. we had come to expect. I mean, it wasn't turn-based, which was a big thing. It was it, it felt heavily MMORPG-ish, which in 2006 WoW was still like relatively new. Um, we still mostly thought of, especially Japanese RPGs in a turn-based context. Since then, we've had like the Xenoblade Chronicle games in particular, which are widely seen. Is a kind of a spiritual successor to Final Fantasy XII. I think they have some major differences. And of course, MMORPGs have changed and evolved. Uh, Square Enix itself has moved away a bit from turn based games. You've seen a lot more games in the kind of mold of Final Fantasy XII. So I'm kind of. So now that it doesn't feel quite as, say, different, I'm interested to see how it holds up, especially when put against these other RPGs. What are your thoughts on that, Jeremy?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that's something that um, I'll be curious to see because at the time, Final Fantasy XII felt so refreshing and different because it, it was this open-world game in a time when that was pretty uncommon. Uh, I mean, this was, you know, when it came out, Crackdown hadn't even come out. GTA 4 hadn't come out. Like, we were... Uh, if you wanted, a, a, like, an open-world RPG, you basically played Oblivion. That was about it. So, um, yeah, it was it was uh, it was definitely sort of thinking outside the box and it's taken Square Enix 10 years to make another game like that um, in, in the Final Fantasy series. So I'm, I'm curious to see how people will receive it. Um, it, it could, sw- you know, the pen- pendulum could swing the other direction where people may not like it because it doesn't do the, the MMO formula right. like MMOs have become, or not MMO, but open world games have become very formulaic and very by the numbers. And there is a certain way you make these games. <clears throat> and Final Fantasy 12 predates that. So it could be a case where people are like, oh, this is open world, but it feels weird because, you know, I don't have all these collectibles and there's no mini-map and where's my base and that sort of thing. <laughs> so... Eh, we'll see what happens. It's it, it kind of falls somewhere between like the traditional the traditional Final Fantasy uh, structure of like you go from town to town and are always advancing, and the more open world style where you know to a certain degree Robin still is sort of like home base for you throughout the game. You go back there a few times, and it, it's it's even you know just psychologically there's a little bit of comfort in going back to the place you started from as you're venturing further afield. So it could be a case where people are like, wow, this is amazing. Or it could be a case where people are like, uh, this is lame.
2: (laughs) I don't know.
0: Well, it was about seven years ago that I played Final Fantasy XII for one of the first, uh, one-up RPG blogs, The Daily Grind, which I actually went back and I was reading it. And I feel like at the time I wasn't really prepared for it, um, like the it still felt like a shock even like three years after it had originally come out and now like i feel a little older i feel a little wiser i've played a lot more rpgs since then so i'm really interested to play this game with kind of this uh new perspective nadia i know that you haven't really played final fantasy 12 um how excited are you
2: uh, after hearing about the uh, the Zodiac system, I'm a little more excited because mm. uh, in a past um, episode we talked about how I kind of have job anxiety when it comes to Final Fantasy games. Uh, so I've, if I can set my heart on a certain job, or two of them even, and, and stick with them, uh, I won't feel like I'm doing it wrong, so to speak. So uh, I, I'm, I'm ready to give this a try. Uh, I, I am looking forward to it.
0: Uh, is it coming out this fall? I didn't see the release date.
2: I believe... No, no,
0: 2017. Okay, 2000. all the good stuff's in 2017. I know. placeholder. And Persona <laughs> 5 is like lurking around the corner and Zelda. But anyway, Jeremy, we can find you on Twitter at GameSpite. And of course, you're also hosting Retronauts. Do you have anything else that you want to plug right now?
1: Uh, usgamer.net is great. You should go to that site.
0: I yes, agree. I concur to that wholeheartedly. But in any case, we are going to head into the Super Robot Wars segment next, and then Nadia will return, and we'll be talking about Odin Sphere, Les Vizier. Nice to have a rare appearance by the boss, and uh, hopefully you'll be back with us next week for, uh, for E3. Yes. Until then, we'll talk to you later, Jeremy. Bye. All right. We're here now with Elliot Gay, who is our kind of unofficial Japan correspondent, even though he doesn't live in Japan anymore. Uh, but he does still play Japanese games. And now he's a game localizer, which is actually really cool. But the reason that I brought him on the podcast is that he is my Super Robot Wars slash mecha buddy. And we're going to talk about Super Robot Wars V, which was just yeah. announced for the PlayStation 4. And the uh, PlayStation Vita. Um, so, Elliot, I'm just going to share my initial thoughts on this one Go for really it. quickly.
3: Lay it on me. It
0: smells like a placeholder.
3: Oh yeah.
0: <laughs> it feels like a placeholder. Um, so okay, so I'm looking at the 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 series list here right now, mm-hmm. and I, I'm seeing some ones that are clearly meant to take advantage of the engine from Super Robot Wars Z3. Uh, particularly Evangelion, uh, Full Metal oh, yeah. Panic, uh, uh, Mazinger and, um, Get a Robo are given. Gundam Seed Destiny, woo!
3: Oh, uh, yay! <laughs> uh,
0: Shar's Counterattack, of course. I mean, that's a given. Zeta Gundam. So it's like, uh, oh, great. Uh, look at all these, uh, retreads. Um, was Zambot 3 in the previous one in Z3?
3: Oh gosh, I cannot remember.
0: I'm pretty sure it was. In which case, that's a retread as well. Now, on the other hand, you got some new ones that are actually pretty exciting. It's been a while since we've seen Double Zeta, which feels strange to say. Double Zeta used to be a mainstay. Um We have Gundam Crossbone. Double um, mm-hmm. O, Awakening of the Trailblazers back. Um uh, and here's a big one that I'm actually really excited about and actually has me on board. Yamato 2199.
3: Yeah, I am I am super. I was kind of lukewarm through all of this until watching the trailer 2199 popped up. That's probably one of my favorite sci-fi anime of like the last 10 years. It's really good. Unfortunately, not officially licensed in the States, I think. So it's really hard no, it to is. access.
0: It came, out <laughs> Star it came out of Star Blazers 2199. Oh, there you go. Okay, the name change totally caught me off guard. But it's but, pretty um, inaccessible. Yeah. Uh, just for like reference, for example, um, I just went out and bought um both of the the entire series of Zeta Gundam for about 150 bucks um mm-hmm. on two Blu rays. And I feel good about that. Yeah. Um whereas Star Blazers twenty one ninety nine is like a lot more scattered, it's on multiple volumes, um, and it's really expensive. So it's it's not it's not ideal, and I don't know if it's on any streaming services. No,
3: it, it isn't, and that's a total shame, uh, because the series is really, really wonderful, and, and so is the movie that takes place kind of after and during, um, but it's really inaccessible for most people, which is really a shame.
0: So if you're not familiar with Yamato 2199, it is actually the reboot, or it's actually the remake of the original yeah. Space Battleship Yamato, everybody's favorite jingoistic space- Oh, Pokemon. yeah. <laughs> uh, which uh, basically allows Japan to save the world by reenacting World War II, except in yeah. Japan wins this time.
3: Yeah, and the remake tones down the the jingoisms quite a bit.
0: Um, a thought. little bit. No, yeah, no, you're right because in the remake, like one of there's actually an episode where Japan ponders its guilt over the fact that it started, or in this case, uh, it started the war with the um, the Gamelins.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's a lot less. Like, the, the, the scenario is the same, but I think in terms of how it's expressed through dialogue and, and like, what characters say to one another, it's a lot less overt and obvious. It's, it's clear that, like, they couldn't take that out of the series entirely because, I mean, the fact that the ship is called the Yamato is kind of.
0: It's called built, the Yamato. It's built in series. They're trying to save their homeland, which is being bombed by nuclear, uh, well, by asteroids that cause radiation.
3: Yeah, and it, it's sort of clear that, like, their success is kind of built off of the sacrifices of everybody else on the planet who has worked to kind of get to this one last chance. Yes. Um, So in that sense, it's a lot easier to swallow in this day and age. I, you know, there's, especially if you go back to the original uh, series where it's pretty just like kind of in your face, it's not so much here. What's there is just kind of the stuff they couldn't take out without it losing its identity, I guess.
0: Yeah, Yamato 2199 uh, was a beautiful-looking show. Oh, uh, yes. Totally. They did such a terrific job. Um, they did a great job of taking a lot of the 70s elements from the <laughs> original and repurposing them into something that makes a lot a little more sense and yeah. is less cheesy. Absolutely. And in that regard, it was kind of Battlestar Galactica-ish, um, I feel. I mean, I think BSG fans might snort a little uh, at me comparing the two, but I, I think that... In terms of remakes, I just think it does a fantastic job of repurposing the old material uh, without kind of losing what made the original so great. Absolutely, uh, and
3: strong, strong musical score as well that has a lot of oh, so great, like, a lot of throwbacks to like the '70s score without you know just rehashing entirely. It's just it's a very classy series, mm. um, and it's one I point to all the time when, when people talk about how series like that don't really exist anymore. I, I try to scream and holler and point to 21.99, but you know, people just kind of look at me and shrug and go, what? Because, you know, it's so hard to find. Um, there is a sequel series coming out, too, which I'm excited yeah. about. Yeah,
0: The movie didn't impress me, actually, that much. But I really enjoyed the, the series. Um, even if it starts off a little slow, I think that by the time the ship is actually, like, takes off from Earth, it really starts to pick up. And then oh, when it gets yeah. to Pluto, the whole battle with Pluto is just awesome. Yeah. So the the build up makes it worth it, I think. Um, absolutely. All that so the fact that it's coming in the super robot wars for the first time, even yeah. though it doesn't have any mechs, um. No mechs, Joe. <laughs> no mechs. It's just um well, a giant space well, it's a battleship flying through space <laughs> with um that can launch fighters. Uh yeah. like star fighters, kind of like uh like the cosmic zero, like Yes, it's called the Cosmic Zero, of course. Um, that looks like uh, like they look like starfighters from Battlestar Galactica, right? So, which is fine, honestly. Um, even if they can't turn into mechs, uh, Super Robot Wars in the past has included non mech stuff in its yeah, games. Yeah,
3: it, it's so sort of, they've totally had units that are just big battleships before. I mean, mm. you know, they have had Macross units that do not transform into anything and are just you know flying. Units, so it's, this isn't a huge stretch. Plus, I'd say I, this franchise in general has earned a spot on this list just through existing for so
0: long. And spiritually, I feel like, um, just in terms of the way the stories are crafted, um, it's kind of place in Japanese sci fi lore, <laughs> uh, it's spiritually very closely connected to mecha, especially you could almost consider it a precursor to what Gundam became. So I I feel like Yamato 2199 certainly does it it certainly meshes right I mean the fact that they invented the the notion of the um uh, the 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 wave motion gun and yeah, it's like
3: motion cannon
0: and that they call out the attacks when they're doing it so mecha it's gonna fit out great and it looks amazing in in the trailer which I will put into the show notes
3: yeah it looks like they took the uh, the 3D models and kind of put like a light cell shading over to like make them fit in. It's kind of interesting, too, because that's a series that relies heavily on CG, but in really strong ways instead of, you know, kind of popping in awkward looking CG all the time. Uh, And it looks like they're going that same route for the game instead of making them into, you know, traditional 2D sprites, which is really interesting to me. It's a nice way to maintain the visual look of the show.
0: Outside of that, um, I mean, you have Hathaway's Flash and Crossbone, which is great, but yeah. not a lot of new stuff in this game, which, oh, and Nadesco. I forget. How could yeah. I forget Nadesco? I was, I was here.
3: surprised to see Nadesco pop up again, but yeah. I guess in the, in the last 3DS game, they had it. Only this one's Prince of Darkness, which is the, the darker movie that took place after the TV series, which, I'm I'm kind of excited because I, I want to see this game explore that storyline a little bit, but it's also depressing because as Nadesico fans know, the film was meant to be the start of a trilogy that would wrap up the whole series, and it said the film ends on a really depressing note and there's no continuation whatsoever.
0: <laughs> so, so the presence of Yamato is exciting, but I think there's a reason that fans should be even more excited. Yeah. And that's the fact that like Super Robot Wars OG it's going to be released in English Shock. when it comes out. Um it's going that doesn't mean it's getting an American release. No. but it is getting an English release when it comes out in 2017 which this is the first of the licensed Super Robot Wars games to get is a official English release. Um you can get Super Robot there are fan translations that exist of some of the older games. But by and large, if you wanted to enjoy this series, you had to know Japanese. Um, And if you didn't, you could still enjoy it, but you lost a lot in the story.
3: Yeah, and and unfortunately, too, both the systems that it's coming out on, the PS4 and the Vita, are both region-free. So this is an easy, easy import.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and not only that, like, so the fact that it'll be in English is so great because I think that there are plenty of people who import it, um and you can enjoy the strategy you can enjoy the the pretty animations and all that but one of the big draws of super robot wars is how bonkers the story always is yes as they unite all of these different series into one big crazy insane thing um and most of the time the the story is presented in a really dry sort of way with like just text boxes and everything mm-hmm. um Making it kind of like a visual novel. So if you don't read Japanese, you're just scrolling through all of that, and it's it's a, it's a little bit of a drag. Yeah. So, especially because a lot of it's not voiced too. So. Yeah, a lot of it's not voiced. So it's I think it adds a lot to be able to actually enjoy the story.
3: Yeah, and you know the thing is like with a lot of crossover games, typically the story is a mishmash of nonsense, and like you know your your enjoyment will vary greatly depending on the series you like. But I feel like with Super Robot Wars, like fans have always enjoyed the series not just for the strategy elements or for the beautiful sprites, but because of how crazy the stories get, you know? There's a reason why Super Robot Wars Z had, you know, three games in the series with a you know, storyline continuing from the first to the final, because people actually cared enough about that ridiculous crossover mishmash of stories. Not to mention, a lot of times, depending on the franchise, the version of the story told within the game can often be an improvement over uh the original series.
0: Uh yeah, which is it was hilarious are, to me. <laughs> it rather famously saved Gundam Seed Destiny as an example. A yeah. show that is considered to be a total mess and Super Robot War Z completely repurposed it, paired it up with uh Gundam Zeta, um really softened the motivations and made the characters a lot more relatable, I suppose.
3: Yeah, and in some cases too, um like for instance, Full Metal Panic, at least up until recently, uh you know the series, the book series, the novel series that the show is based on, went on to something like I want to I want to say twelve or thirteen volumes. I'm not entirely sure. I did read them all, but the anime only covered up to the second or third novel. Um, and so for years, the the store the novel original story was completely unadapted, and fans really hated that. You know because they wanted to see that animated, and you know the Z games actually ended up moving on beyond the anime series and adapting novel stuff. And while I'm not totally happy with the way Full Metal Panic turned out in, in Super Robot Wars, uh, it's cool that these games can adapt further material that hasn't even been animated yet.
0: Yeah, I know. I think that's really great. And in the case of Gundam Double Zeta, the anime is total garbage and you should not watch it. Um, and in fact, <laughs> ruins Gundam. And I'm not joking. Like Gundam Double Zeta is an atrocity. But I like some of the mech designs and... I kind of liked some of the music, so in that respect, I'm happy to have it in the game.
3: I mean, the Haman stuff later on is is probably the strongest stuff in Double Zeta, Um, just because that series wastes so much time.
0: Haman is the only character who doesn't get ruined in Double Zeta, and she comes really close. She comes close, but but I feel they like they took frickin' Hamon Karn and made her fall in love with Judo Asha. You yeah, know, I I will still take that over
3: what came in Char's
0: counterattack, but <laughs> I I mean this
3: is a closer to all of this, I guess.
0: Yes, yes, that that's for sure. Um, I've always found it funny how in the Super Robot Wars games they're always trying to find like reasons that Char might have dropped the frickin' asteroid on Earth. So they're like, coming up, they're like... (laughs) The reason didn't work. (laughs) Like, they did I forget what the the reason they came up with for Z3 Part 1, but it actually kind of worked in that game. But it always seems like they're retconning it in the Super Robot Wars games, because they've done Char's Counterattack multiple times.
3: Oh yeah, multiple times. One thing noticeably missing... uh, much to my joy, I guess, there is no Macross Frontier on this list, which is, like, the first Super Robot War game without, like, Macross in it in ages, which is crazy. Um, but I think there's a reason for that. I'm going to put my tinfoil hat on for a second, right? Because there is a Macross series running right now, Delta, which is, is pretty fun. But I think the primary reason why there isn't a Macross series in this specific game uh, is because of the English language release.
0: And I
3: say that because Harmony Gold, uh, notoriously, Harmony Gold owns the rights to everything Macross as Robotech uh, outside of Japan. It's not just in the United States. It's anywhere outside of Japan. They own the rights to this franchise um, horribly, unfortunately, for everybody who lives outside of Japan. Um, And so I would imagine if they wanted to release this game internationally, Asian release, even if it's just an Asian release, um, they probably had to pluck Macross out of there. Because, including it, would have infringed on the quote-unquote rights
0: of Harmony Gold. I'm fine with that. They've done Macross Frontier. Yeah,
3: totally. Um, I have seen some some diehard Macross fans who are pretty upset what this might mean going forward. Um, like, if they continue to release these games uh, in English, does that mean you know Macross is never going to get back in again? What does that mean? Um, but, I mean, I also don't think this is a mainline series game.
0: Uh, no, like, no, it's totally not. This is placeholder awesome. central.
3: Um, the fact that they're, you can already see in the trailer, they're reusing sprites and animations from Z. Um, the fact that it's a single game and it's not going to be a trilogy. They already announced that this is a standalone, yep. one-done story. Uh, this seems to be And it like falls
0: into the category of the WKL, like those games that were standalone. Yep. Um, and were frequently just reusing old assets and all that kind of thing. No, this is totally placeholder central. And, but I'm, and, and if this weren't being released in English, I'd probably skip it. Um, same. Not cool. the least because I never got around to finishing Z3 part two. Because frankly, by that point, I was burned out on that engine and I was burned out on that look. One yeah. of the things that kind of dismayed me was so when Z3 part two came out, oh my God, I loved, or sorry, when Z2 part when Z two came out on the PSP, I loved it. Gorgeous.
3: Oh so it was good. so
0: beautiful on the PSP. It was one of the best looking PSPs games to come around.
3: That's so and, awesome.
0: <laughs> and then Z two Part Two like dramatically expanded on what came out in part one and I loved it so much. And then Z three part uh one came out it didn't look that much it uh-huh. looked slightly better. Like they kind of upgraded the the Sprites piecemeal and but, at the same time, like even though it was on the p s three it looked like it, it was still optimized for the Vita, and there yeah. was a lot of things that bugged me, like the overhead map, yep, and the uh the fact that y- you did not have the the character um uh torsos i suppose uh yeah, top the, the
3: character portraits
0: the it, it, just... por- it was just the little portraits, and yeah. so it didn't work well on the big screen like the actual combat animations looked fine. Um, on the screen, but the rest of it seemed very handheldy. And it, it just, like, the presentation didn't hold up, especially when compared to OG. Mm -hmm. And frankly, older Super Robot Wars games. Like, if you played Z on the PlayStation 2, my, I mean, yeah, I I would never say that it looks as good as Z3, but like, presentate from a presentational standpoint, it's like way more cinematic and it feels like something that you'd be playing on the big screen.
3: I mean, even playing Z3 on, on the Vita was kind of a disappointment just because mm-hmm. it was clear that they were just repurposing the PSP engine and assets and, and the fact that, you know, again, yeah. with the, the small portraits... And
0: like I was really going through the motions of Z3 part one. Um, it, it was okay, but it just didn't grab me in the same then, way that Z2, Z2 did.
3: It sort of... The salt was rubbed in the wound even further because that, around that time was when the last OG game came out on PS3, mm-hmm. and, and was that so was looking. gorgeous. And then you have you know the Moon Dwellers coming out too now, which like again, full torsos and the full maps and yeah, you know, the experience you kind of want from this series, the big cinematic experience. So again, it's one of those things where like I would normally skip over this if this were in Japanese, but because it's in English for the first time, and also partially because it's a, a standalone story. Um, I sort of feel comfortable jumping in and then jumping out whenever I kind of feel like
0: it. I think that for American fans, this is a terrific starting point if you're not yeah. familiar with the series. Because not only will it be in English, it will have a lot of shows that maybe you've heard of and are familiar with. Yeah. Um, shows like, um, for example, Evangelion and Full Metal Panic and Nadesco um, yeah. to and the go big- along with... Uh, Uh, familiar faces like Zeta Gundam. And then it has, like, really fun stuff, like Crossbone. Crossbone is the Pirate Gundams. uh, Which is kind of awesome, right? So, that's cool. Um, And then, you know, just being able to... And and then, without context, I don't feel like people will be as burned out, right?
3: Exactly, yeah. Like, this is not... I feel like people are going to enter this, especially if they're coming off of something like Project X Zone, which is, like, burn out the game, you know what I mean? Um, I feel like Super Robot Wars games have much better longevity when it comes to like missions and stories and stuff like that. Uh so I think it'll be a surprise to a lot of people. I'm really I'm really interested in seeing how this sells as an import. And I'm sure Bandai Namco is too because this is the I'm first sure. time they're ever doing this.
0: Oh, uh, it'll be niche. It'll be so niche, but I think that there's it has enough of an English fan base that I think it'll have positive word of mouth especially among anime fans. Yeah. So, um the last thing I will say is that when we say this is a placeholder, I think that they're working on the next series, whatever that might be. And mm-hmm. I think the reason that they're holding it back is because there's a number of mecha anime that is currently airing yeah. uh, Ma Cross Delta among them. And I think that they're waiting for those shows. Uh, Iron-Blooded Orphan is another one, uh, the current mm-hmm. Gundam show. I think they're waiting to, for those to finish airing before they embark on a new series with an entirely new engine and all of that stuff.
3: Not to mention they kind of they kind of missed uh, a a decent chunk of shows between, you know, repurposing the Z games, the last two Z games and this one. So I feel like they have a they have a fairly large pool to pull from for, for new stuff. But that also means time. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, you know, this is the twenty-fifth anniversary, I think, of uh, a Super Robot Wars, and this is the second game that they announced out of them it was Moon Dwellers and this. And I imagine the A team right now is probably working on the Moon Dwellers. Full stop. Uh, and this is kind of like the B team. And then when Moon Dwellers is out, they'll probably be working full force on whatever the next actual. Yeah, they're
0: probably planning titles. out the next one after this. Uh, so this is the thing with Super Robot Wars. They 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 periodically put out these placeholder games, and it's actually really obnoxious. Um, UX is a good example. Yeah, the,
3: the it- 3DS games are that.
0: Incarnate. Yeah, pretty <laughs> so you're, much. You had some um, X. Uh, frankly, but uh, but they have their purpose in that they're they can be standalone games. I mean, actually, the first uh, Super Robot Wars game I ever played was totally a placeholder, and that huh. was uh, W. Oh wow! Yeah, W was the first, um, and you know why I picked it up? It was because of Voltron. <laughs> yep. It was because of Voltron, and I recognized Gundam Wing, and I'm like, oh, sweet! So I picked it up, and I fell head over heels in love with it, and became a huge mecha fan because of that game. And by all objective managers, Super Robot Wars W is not a good game, or no, it's not it's a not, good game in the context of the series. It's, it's really, not particularly well held up. <laughs> it's not. It's really easy. Uh, it's really unbalanced. Um, like you can just blow through that game. But oh my god on the DS like those graphics were so good. I didn't even know that the uh Super Robot sorry. I didn't even know that the G, that it reused tons of stuff from the GBA game.
3: Yeah, the G, I mean the GBA games um some of them were just absurdly beautiful. I mean I'm I'm currently mm-hmm. kind of chipping away at uh Super Robot Wars J because yeah. the the next OG game connects
0: pretty significantly to it. Like uh, J never, was such an upgrade over D.
3: And I've never played J before and I booted it up and I'm just like Shocked by how gorgeous the animations are, and how just like you know they pulled all the stops on this game.
0: Yeah, they I took was, all that I'm, stuff yeah. on and they put in the DS game, and it and looked it great marks, on the DS. You
3: know? like the game was good-looking enough that you can you can do that. You know,
0: mm-hmm. but in any case, uh, so yes, this is a placeholder, uh, which is unfortunate, but I think this is a good starting point, and I'm really happy this going to be in English. It'll be out next year. Um so yeah. Super Robot Wars, everybody. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, should, sure it sure is. Let's slag on it for a while to be like how commercialized it is, but you should totally buy it.
3: Hey, you know what? Just because just because something's commercialized doesn't mean it has to suck.
0: Right? You know? Uh really quickly, yeah. <laughs> are you watching or playing any uh RPGs uh that we should know about?
3: Uh well I, I recently beat Shin Megami Tensei 4 Armageddon I think it's called in the US oh uh, um with, that was a really cool experience um and right now I'm slowly working my way
0: through uh I Am Setsuna in Japanese okay um, um uh, really quick hit thoughts on those two because we have to go
3: yeah Armageddon a uh, really incredible sequel to Shin Megami Tensei 4 it is in fact definitely a sequel um if you play it without playing the original you will be confused for a bit because it it's literally the they literally it literally starts off at the last hour of the neutral path for Shin Megami Tensei 4 and like continues from there uh just from another character's perspective but in terms of difficulty dungeons all that stuff it's just really it's really fabulous i think people are going to like that a lot i am setsuna uh i'm like 6 hours in a very traditional japanese role playing game as a lot of people said, it reminds you a lot of Chrono Trigger in terms of its gameplay systems. The combat system is almost exactly the same in some ways. Uh, beautiful-looking game. The Japanese text is a little bit, I don't know, not toneless, but very dry, so I'm hoping the localization kind of peps that up a little bit. Otherwise, it's it's a, it's a great little game so far.
0: All right, sweet. And, of course, we can follow you on Twitter at RyogaSatome. Uh, that's R-Y-O-U-G-A- s a o t o m e uh, yeah. for more anime and uh japan Japanese gaming thoughts um, and of course we will have you back on the show at some point in the future for our big super robot wars like blowout episode when we oh, get yeah. Austin Walker on here and it's gonna be great.
3: Excited about that
0: All right Elliot, thanks for coming on the show on such short notice and we'll talk to you later.
3: No problem thanks.
0: we're back for the final segment nadia is back as well hello we were talking about odin's fear left which we touched on last week in that time i played a lot more of it um and managed to get a a pretty good feel for odin's fear left for you should be able to find my thoughts on the site i've been playing on the playstation vita nadia you've been playing on the playstation 4 that's correct um i'm curious to hear what your thoughts are
2: Oh, really enjoying it so far. I don't know if you managed mm. to see my uh stream that I did the I other did. day. I did. I watched
0: some of the stream. I saw that you were at the beginning of the game.
2: Yeah. Um since I played a little bit more after that, uh actually the, the file that I was using, I started over again, but I kind of went back to my old file and played a bit more. Uh yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun. Like it's so fast-paced and I mean it's gorgeous, of course. No no argument there. Uh the voice acting's a little cheesy, but uh that's okay. We can we can overlook that.
0: Yeah. Um so I think the main thing, again, that still jumps out at me is how gorgeous this game is. Um, yeah. It, it is really beautiful.
2: I understood. You played the first one, right?
0: Uh, no, I didn't, actually.
2: Oh, okay. I thought you played the first one, because I heard the first no. one has uh, real frame rate issues, which this one takes care of.
0: Yeah, I like have done some research on the original Odin Sphere, and that is definitely one thing that comes up again and again, was that especially on the bosses, the frame rate just goes to crap. I can see why. Yeah, I can totally see that because they're, like, big and they're extremely detailed and they're interesting. And so. they, they
2: summon a lot of their little minions, and uh, that probably doesn't help very much.
0: And in context of what Odin's Sphere Left Vazir adds, I can kind of understand why Odin's Sphere came in for some of the criticism that it ultimately did. Because mm-hmm. Odin's Fear Left Vazir adds a lot.
2: Yeah, I heard that. I- I'm not too familiar with some of the stuff it added. Like, I heard skills are, are one thing, like, more skills.
0: Right. Well, I mean, it from the sound of it, they didn't really have any skills at all in Odin's Sphere. I mean, mm-hmm. they had a few, but this one, like, adds character-specific skills. Yes, that's right. So, Valkyrie, for example, has, like, ice spells Which and, I like, certain time. moves, lots of aerial stuff. Yeah. And course. the Puka Prince, he has, um, like, spark spells and that kind of thing. Um, so, they feel a lot more different mm-hmm. and I feel like, it w- oh, and they also, like, dramatically upgraded just, like, what you can do with the combat. Yes. Um. In terms of being hack and slash, like a lot of people compare it to Muramasa, the Demon Blade, mm-hmm. and I, um, yeah, like I can't imagine Odin Sphere without any of that stuff. I think that it would be a super drag. So that in so in that light, I think Odin Sphere Led Forzir is definitely a huge improvement.
2: Yeah, and uh, apparently the, the original game is on, uh, or at least classic mode, quote-unquote, yes. is, is in the game itself. So you can go back to that if that's what you prefer.
0: Yeah, I haven't figured out how to do that. I need to go over and um, I think go it's... and check my Vita just to see like what classic mode is like.
2: Yeah, uh, it's on the title screen. You just pick it from there. Uh, and, of course, the game okay. opens with uh, you and the cat, Socrates.
0: I haven't been back to the title screen since I started. Like, every <laughs> oh, time. that's right
2: because your vita you can put in sleep mode that's right
0: oh you can do that on the ps4 as well but yeah but oh and, and i love the always... cat oh my god so Oh, the cute.
2: socrates is so cute but my husband always makes me turn off the app he's like why is this app still running I'm like oh fine and i always turn it off and just start again
0: uh...
2: but yeah it's a little cute little black cat and it's just like a lot of little touches like that are what kind of makes the game stand out to me the fact mm. that why select a menu option when you can pick up a cat
0: <laughs> exactly um and then as you get more books, like the books are kind of scattered around the ground. So mm-hmm. you can just walk up to one of them and pick them up and then hop into the big cushy overstuffed chair. Yeah. And it has and, a real
2: whimsical feel to it.
0: Yes. A lot of this game has a really whimsical feel about it. But um, so the game is set up between, across five different characters. Uh, you start out with Valkyrie, you move on to the Puka Prince, and then as time goes on, you have like Mercedes the fairy, and you have Velvet, who's like the the mage who pops up in various places, um, et cetera, et cetera. And they all play differently in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that the game is structured is you will have um, y- you will have story segments, right? Yes. So, and those are non-interactive. And then once the story segment is finished, usually you will go over to the world map and you'll head into a dungeon and the dungeon is this kind of like multifaceted um series of rooms
2: yeah it took me a while to figure out what i was doing but once i started to kind of get used to navigating it it was i kind of i really like the setup
0: yeah so you're navigating these these rooms and some of these rooms you know they have treasure some of these rooms have enemies in them that you have to defeat um, some of these levels have like mid-bosses. Mid-bosses mm-hmm. are a, another new addition to this game. Um, some There's also challenge bosses, especially as you get further into the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like some of the later dungeon areas, like you have to go and find a key to open a door over here. Um, there are rest areas where you can kind of teleport around. Yeah, um, and find these, merchants dun- and whatnot. The dungeons can actually be fairly time consuming. They they can, especially the more complex ones.
2: Yeah, I find myself like stopping a lot, uh, not just to navigate, but also to like go through my inventory and grow seeds that help you level up and, and that sort of thing. Uh, especially since your inventory space is limited, so you lose it, you, you use it or you lose it.
0: Yeah, I was actually, well, you can store stuff in a box. Oh, okay. So there is that. That's um, good to know. But I was commenting, I, I took a screenshot, and I meant to post it on Twitter, and I was like, I didn't realize this game was like basically food porn. Yeah, it kind
2: of is, isn't it?
0: It really is, because initially, you're growing seeds, right? Yeah. And you get these fruits. And when you're at a low level, you just eat the fruit. Yeah. But as you get higher, like the, the fruit, and then eventually the meat is not really sufficient. Yeah. Um. There's, there's a tree that you can plant that will give you two sheep. <laughs> and, I haven't
2: found the sheep tree And the sheep will run yet.
0: around. The sheep will run around. Like the sheep grow, uh-huh. and then they pop off the tree and start running around. And you have to kill them. Oh, no. Oh, dear. And lamb chops come off it. Well, come that up makes here.
2: sense in a way, except for them growing off the tree.
0: <laughs> so you like meat, eh? Well, <laughs> guess what? Here's your lamb chop.
2: <laughs> off a tree.
0: <laughs> off a tree. They don't
2: grow off trees. Oh, yes, they do.
0: Yes, in this case, sheep literally grow on trees. Wow. So uh, so those are good. But then more often you're better served using them as ingredients at a restaurant. Right. So there's this little puka who are like these little rabbit guys. Um, and there's a traveling restauranteur that you can summon at a restaurant, a uh, rest stop area mm-hmm. by ringing a bell. And they come out with their big bag and they go whoosh and like all these (laughs) tables and and everything pop out and uh, if you have the right recipes which you earn throughout the course of the game like you can buy them you can find them whatever Uh uh-huh um you can make uh dishes that will dramatically increase your level yeah that makes sense so you spend a lot of time like gathering the ingredients um making the foods Um, If you're not, if you don't have the ingredients, you can always go into town Mm -hmm. and there are a couple of restaurants and then you can spend the money that you find to get to make dishes, to just buy dishes. Yeah. That will also dramatically increase uh, your XP. And as the game progresses, you more and more use the seeds that you find to grow ingredients that you in turn use to make dishes. And then you use your phosons. I think they're called phosons. Yeah, I
2: keep calling them phasons after Metroid, but no, they are
0: phosons. <laughs> you uh, so you can normally use your phosons to fertilize the seeds that they grow. Mm-hmm. But once you get to the point where the just the seeds aren't really great enough, um, it's, you're actually often better served pl- plugging them into um, your skills. That's right, yeah. Like, upgrading them.
2: Yeah. Um, I actually love games that do that, where, like, once you can't level up the old-fashioned way, uh, that you kind of have to upscale what you're doing to get stronger. It kind of yeah. gives you a real sense of progression.
0: Yeah, and it also makes for some interesting choices, where it's like, well, do I want to upgrade a skill, or do I want to get this thing for um, to level up? Yeah. So, like, there would be points where I'd be slightly over-leveled. Like, mm-hmm. maybe a couple of levels ahead of the recommended level for fighting an enemy. Yeah. And I'd be like, oh, well, I have a hundred Fozon surplus, so I'm just going to plug it into um my, like, regular sword, like my regular weapon, so I can increase my attack stat, or I will improve this one particular skill, so...
2: Yeah, I find myself mostly sticking to basic attacks and uh, the ice skills for mm. uh, Valkyrie.
0: Yeah, um, she gets some really good skills as the game progresses, mm-hmm. actually. Um, I had a uh, this this ice skill that would like shoot ice on either side of her, mm-hmm. um, and could like do massive area of effect attack uh, damage while freezing enemies. Very useful for clearing the stage.
2: It would be because at, the more you progress, of course, the more enemies really swarm you, and uh, the bosses can get pretty vicious.
0: Yes, the bosses can get a little nasty, and they also send their minions out, so that's a good crowd yeah. control measure. And then also, um, I had uh, her needle attack, which is just what I used all the time, essentially. Um, but she also has some really powerful attacks. Like, her final is called, like, Gunir. Mm-hmm. And it's actually, like, a summoned style attack that will do... Uh, basically clear the room. Wow. Uh, and at one point... So, another aspect of this game is crafting. Mm-hmm. Like, alchemy. Yes. And you... um you mix a material together with like food that you find or berries or whatever and i found one that was like 00, zero uh point or z- the zero timer potion mm-hmm. which makes all magic free oh cool so i was able to spam um my well, i was basically able to spam my most powerful spells for a little bit which yeah, was very nice that'll
2: fix things <laughs>
0: She also has Blizzard, which is a very expensive spell um, mm-hmm. that will freeze the entire stage and continually do damage over time. Very nice. I like it a lot.
2: Yeah, there's some very lethal spells going on. So again, it's a case where the enemies hit you hard, but you can hit them back just as hard.
0: I was actually really confused for a while over like what the limitations were on the magic versus yeah, the, uh, the other skills.
2: I'm not 100% clear on that. Have you figured that out yet?
0: I finally figured it out What was that the physical spells take up the pow meeting meter. okay right the pow meter recovers like quickly yes the actual magic spells cost a certain amount of pp right um and the pp will um I i think that it regenerates by killing enemies
2: oh okay that makes a little sense yes
0: so you really want to save up the pp and not spam magic too much Mm -hmm. because magic can be very powerful
2: yeah i agree because i've come into boss fights and have been like okay i'm gonna spam the heck out of this ice spear it's like oh no what happened to all my power so yeah Yeah,
0: exactly so you're better served um focusing on physical skills and then using magic to as a crowd control measure Mm -hmm. or to just do a lot of damage And then also, you can do a lot of damage with potions.
2: Yes, I have been crafting a lot of potions.
0: Like there's some really wicked good potions, Uh, especially like uh, if you craft it right, you can get fire spirits, Mm -hmm. um, which will just surround you. Um, You can also get ice spirits, and you get uh, they will surround you and do damage just by contact, which like dramatically adds to your damage put. Yeah, I I think I actually used
2: that uh, against one of the bosses on the stream i can't remember which one but uh i also like um the fact that if an enemy is in the process of using a, a potion if you knock it out of their hand you can grab it yourself
0: yes i i do like that and that i that actually happens quite a bit when i'm um finding certain bosses in that in the in the like so yeah. um so i i like all of those aspects quite a bit um So the one thing that is bothering me a little bit is I think the repetition is still a little strong.
2: There's definitely a lot of repetition going on. And as much as I love the backgrounds, they do repeat a lot.
0: (laughs) Yeah. um, So one of the things with a Vanillaware game is that they're gorgeous. They're Mm -hmm. really beautiful. um, But they recycle content a lot. Yes. Because, I mean, they kind of have to. I mean, creating these assets is not cheap. Mm-hmm. it's not it's very time consuming so it makes sense that they redo it uh, so you get through the whole Valkyrie thing and right you go through like multiple levels and everything mm-hmm. so you finish the final level right as the mm-hmm. Valkyrie yeah you're like level 50 <laughs> and you're like whoo all right yeah that was several hours um, of hacking and slashing and slashing and hacking <laughs> and then you move on to the next story and you start in the final level of the Valkyrie story. Mm-hmm. And you fight the same bosses. Yeah. And then you go to the next level of the Puka Princess story, and it's another level that you've already played through.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: With the same bosses. Yeah. And you're like, mm. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Um, well, this is fine, but uh it was already feeling a tiny bit samey anyway mm-hmm. even with di- different enemies so repeating content stops starts to feel kind of repetitious uh i don't know do i want to do five characters worth of this i don't know
2: <laughs> socrates says yes socrates says do it
0: i mean it's fun in a comfort foodie kind of way but
2: it is it's a game that does feel good to play
0: but at the same time, it's so hack and slash. Mm-hmm. In the sense of... So when I was fighting the final boss of the Valkyrie story, um, I was standing there on the ground, and I was like, hack, hack, slash, slash, hack, slash, slash, hack slash, hack, hack, slash, slash, use spells, use spells, <laughs> use spells, toss potion, potion, toss potion, toss potion. And it wasn't... It didn't feel very technical.
2: Yeah. It, it's very much a... Uh, all the bosses and stuff I've gone up so far are is, is very much a show of power versus uh skill.
0: Yeah, uh, there's like a technical aspect, but I think Dragon's Crown was much better um in making the and the bosses feel different and interesting and requiring a lot of skill and strategy. Mm-hmm. I think Dragon's Crown is the superior game like I haven't across played, the board.
2: I haven't played Dragon's Crown, but now that I've played this, um I really like to. Uh was dragon Crown the one that ignited that controversy over the character designs? Yes. Okay, yeah.
0: Yes. Uh well, Dragon's Crown has its own issues in some respects. But I I just think that it's a technically superior game. Um, like the the brawling is more interesting, the levels are more interesting, way more interesting. Yeah, I
2: have heard that uh, Dragon's Crown. I I it's one of those games where, aside from the goofy character designs, I've not heard a bad word about it.
0: No. Um, and it's a fun co op game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, i must say that Odin's Fear Left Razir takes what was an extremely flawed game in the original Odin Sphere, and dramatically improves it. Mm-hmm. But maybe can't escape some of the fl- the most basic flaws that impacted the original game.
2: Yeah, I understand that. Although, coming to the game as a newcomer to Odin Sphere in general, I would definitely still recommend it.
0: Yeah, I would recommend it, especially on the um, Vita. Like, I think this is just a great Vita game.
2: It would be. Yeah. It's great for traveling. I can understand why.
0: Oh, yeah, like i I was playing it like nonstop when I was traveling the other day. Um, it's the kind of game that you can put on some other music and just chill out and relax and soak in the really beautiful graphics mm-hmm. and uh, fight through these levels and um, you know periodically stop. Uh, so in that respect, like I certainly I would certainly recommend it in that respect. And of course, soaking in the amazing visuals. Uh, The story's okay.
2: The story is, I reached a part in the story where it's, like, basically Scandal and Fairyland. You probably know what I'm talking about. Yes. (laughs) Scandal
0: and Fairyland.
2: That's what it was.
0: It's a little confusing, because um, there's a point where, like, your characters, they're like, you are banished forever. And I'm like, okay. And then the next thing you know, like, and they're like, you will lose your powers, and you will not remember anything. But you remember everything and then you show up back at your king's like place and he's like oh hi <laughs> hey how's it going hey how's it going daughter and i'm like what i thought I was banished forever
2: <laughs> well you know how parents are when they ground you they say oh you grounded for a year and then they kind of forget about it after a week
0: uh i liked that the individual chapters are fairly self-contained mm-hmm, and i think that there's a I think there is a fundamental appeal to the story that especially the first chapter tells, um, and, and the second chapter. Because the second chapter, you're a prince who gets turned into a rabbit, and you're yeah. trying, to, and there's an imposter and you're like, going, ah. Um, and I like that they all connect together. I just, uh, I just find the repetition to be a little bit of a drag.
2: Well, we'll we can probably re- read your review by the time this is ready, right?
0: Mm, yes, I think so. Uh, like, I have um, I have not written the review yet. Mm-hmm. I'm still plugging through it. I've been playing as fast as possible. But, of course, E3 stuff oh, yes. has been taking up a lot of my time. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's hard to get a read on this. I I, I think that uh, this is what I will say about Odin's Sphere. I think this is exactly what you want out of an HD remake.
2: Right. That's, yeah. And that's not a bad thing at all.
0: Yes, I think he has a very clear understanding of what the flaws of the original game were. Mm-hmm. And not only that, I think George Kamitani, as a d- designer, has matured a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, because Odin Sphere is quite old at this point. It is. It's uh, an older game. He's made multiple games since then. And I think he understands a lot better how to make a- an effective hack-and-slash game. Mm-hmm. So... I and, and I also think that he's got a better handle on the Vita hardware. Yeah. Because Odin Sphere runs much better than Dragon's Crown did.
2: Mm-hmm. So that's interesting, too.
0: Yeah, I like Dragon's Crown a lot, but on the Vita, it has some serious slowdown issues. Mm-hmm. So, um, But yeah, it adds so much. Just between the skills, the revamped combat system, um, the... Oh, God, what else? Oh, it adds like a new game plus... Mm-hmm. type thing um, and it, of course it has a classic mode like they add a lot to this game that improves it in so many ways and just the fact that it doesn't have that slowdown down yes. like really great
2: it's all 60 frames per second all the time as far as I can tell uh, except when Odin walks I don't know what's with his walk cycle
0: yeah that's a little weird <laughs> isn't it he kind of
2: stomps forward I suppose he does. like it, a t-rex it, it, yeah it's kind of neat but kind of weird too
0: I mean, it's cool. I mean, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I think that people who are looking for a solidly told fantasy story will get a lot more out of this than someone who wants like something really technical.
2: Mm-hmm, absolutely, I agree with that.
0: Like somebody who just wants to soak it in and they don't want to think too hard about the combat because it's hack slash hack slash hack it's slash. It's a it's a
2: very good game for after a bad day. Okay, uh, just the, the, the you have the sunny graphics and you have the the really combat intense hack and slash it all just kind of meshes well together and perks up your mood i love the
0: in f- the food yes and how the can food. you not like the food <laughs> oh my god you're like sitting at a restaurant in the middle of hell and this adorable little puka is bringing you um you know an omelet yes a cheese omelet but it, it's
2: hell so that there's an eggshell in it in your character <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly right and your little character is like daintily eating yeah mm-hmm.
2: I love how she daintily eats.
0: Yes, exactly so i yeah, so I, I would say that this is a game I would recommend. Oh, what I was going to ask is, do you think a hack and slash game can work in an RPG context?
2: uh, yeah, I think it can. It can't really take away from it, I don't think. um we I mean I'll,
0: we've had these going back to like guardian heroes, um, yeah, there was also um, oh God, there was that Atlas hack and slash game um, that came out a couple years ago for the 3DS its name escapes me Uh, and then of course Kamitani has been making these since the beginning of time and they've always felt a little compromised to me
2: I don't know, um, it's definitely more on the hack and at least in terms of atmosphere it's definitely more on the hack and slash side than the RPG side Uh, although I will admit it's like okay you're unlocking all these skills how many are you honestly going to use? You... I've just
0: always felt that beat 'em ups as a genre has not aged well. Uh,
2: I, 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 I like my beat 'em ups. I will admit to that. I, I acknowledge they're great, their... comfortable food. They really are. I acknowledge their flaws, but I, I find it hard not to enjoy a good beat 'em up.
0: I loved a good beat 'em up when I was growing up. I mean, they were amazing in arcades.
2: Oh, I loved them then too.
0: Oh my god, because mostly because they had the best graphics. I mean, let's think about Scott Pilgrim, for example, which is an RPG. Yeah, that's I mean, that's right. you have to level up your characters, and you equip items, and like it, it has some pretty solid RPG elements to it.
2: I'm pretty biased towards it, too, because it's basically an RPG beat-em-up where you're beating people up in Toronto. So, yes, exactly. <laughs> I can't not like it.
0: Toronto, the much bigger version of Minneapolis. <laughs> um, No, I, like Scott Pilgrim in Men and Men in Respects, is a really fun beat-em-up. But I felt like it was actually compromised by the RPG elements because I think that it's quite possible to get far enough in that game where you can't win unless you've grinded.
2: I actually couldn't win because I got stuck somewhere. Uh, Just the game glitched out on me and I was so frustrated. Yeah, it was also buggy. Yeah.
0: And there's some stuff that was truly BS. Mm -hmm. Like there's a segment leading up to your final battle uh, with Gideon where you have to walk around the, along this very narrow thing. Yeah. And there's like so, suddenly platforming and you just keep falling off and like losing life.
2: Oh man, that's, that's th- those are two genres that should never touch each other platforming and beat em up. Beat em up. Oh my God. Uh,
0: I was playing with a group of four friends and the cursing. Like one person <laughs> just, I think it was Dan Fight, just got so pissed. He was just like, this is bullshit. This game is <laughs> bullshit. Like He lost it oh my God. on that game. And he was not the first person. No. I've had friends who are like hardcore gamers who just lose their mind at that part.
2: Yeah, yeah. that I know what you're talking about. That's not very fair.
0: But on the other hand, is that really the fault of it being of the RPG elements? No, but at no. the same time, you have to basically grind up to get the game-breaking stuff and save up money and you have to fight like in particular areas and it's very old school rpg in the sense of kill enemy kill enemy kill enemy kill enemy kill enemy yeah i'm not really progressing anywhere okay thank god i can move on
2: so i see where you're coming from but i think it's also i don't think it's a fact that the genres are incompatible i think it's a matter of the developers not doing it quite properly in that regard
0: yeah i think that game kind of suffered from the fact that they needed to get it out in time for the movie yeah which i want to point out that game's now six years old
2: Oh my god, I haven't seen the movie yet. And what? I I read the comics. You haven't seen the movie? I haven't seen the movie. I read all the comics and I haven't seen the movie. Mm. The movie cut out the fight in Honest Dead, as I understand. That makes me so angry.
0: If you read the Yes, they did. <sighs> uh if you read card. the if you read the comics, I think you would come out of the movie slightly bemused because it changes a lot. Exactly. Um and compacts a lot of things. Yeah. But having watched the movie many times since then. I feel like the movie really holds up on its own merits.
2: Yeah, I am disappointed that it didn't do better.
0: Uh, well, I mean, that was inevitable. It was, <laughs> let's <'Cause>, face it. <laughs> because the way it was marketed like, just ensured that nobody outside of people were gamers, mm-hmm. and maybe those who had read the comics would go see it. Exactly. Like The way that it was presented was just totally inaccessible to the average person. Yeah, and it made it way too easy for anybody over like a certain age to go, Psh, stupid millennials with their <laughs> stupid whatever the heck this is, whatever the
2: heck they do these days. My totally generation. ignoring
0: like the relevant relative merits of that of that movie.
2: Yeah. Oh, old people.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm getting a little closer to that than I would like, but I like Same. Scott Pilgrim the movie, Scott Pilgrim the game. Uh, I, I love the soundtrack.
2: I like the fact it's in Toronto and it has a uh, sprites by Paul Robertson.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I wish it could have been better, but yeah, I, I often find myself saying that a lot. I, I often say, find myself saying that about beat 'em up RPGs. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, there's I love the art and I love the music and I and I love certain parts of this game, but there's always that part where, it, like, it becomes a grind fest or like it kind of falls apart or something. Yeah. So.
2: No, I understand that sentiment. Uh, I will admit that I do have a certain bias towards beat-em-ups just because I do find them very comforting. So, But I can understand why you would think that uh, they are repetitive, because they are, let's face it.
0: Well, Odin Sphere Letrasir, I think that we can give it a cautious seal of approval, but um, maybe you have your own opinions. Um, if you want to talk to me about Odin Sphere Letrasir, uh, send me a message over on US Gamer. I'm cat.bailey or email me at cat.bailey at usgamer.net and tell me how wrong I am <laughs> about Odin's Beer and why I should appreciate this game. I, I actually do appreciate it. I just think that it has certain things that really bug me.
2: People on the internet don't tell you you're wrong. Are you crazy? Uh,
0: I mean, as we all know, the internet is a place for nuanced discussion and complex viewpoints. Absolutely. But I mean I think I actually give our audience a lot of credit. I think that our audience does have a few points and they're usually pretty smart about things. But yeah, I don't hate Odin Sphere. It's just uh there's it's just something missing about that game. In any case, uh if you are enjoying the podcast, I strongly recommend that you go on iTunes and leave us a review. Uh the more reviews we have, the more visibility we have and also subscribe. That yes. would make us so happy. Um, You can also find us on iHeartRadio and Stitcher and various other places. You should also check out From Us to You, which Mm -hmm. is our flagship podcast. We just posted our sixth episode where we talk about Warcraft, uh, the movie. We do an E3 preview. And Nadia wonders about where Harvest Moon's place is in a post-Stardew Valley world.
2: Yes, very serious topic.
0: So you should also subscribe to that and leave us a review and rate it. We are doing these episodes pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. So, um, of course, you can find me on uh, Twitter at the underscore CatBot. You can find us on YouTube and Twitch at USGamerNet. Next week is
2: E3. Yeah. yeah.
0: Terrified? Excited? I mean, you're not going, Nadia. You're staying no, in Toronto. I, I'm
2: staying here and holding down the fort for you guys uh, on the home front
0: exactly and we really appreciate it and i'm so jealous can we switch places
2: sure (laughs) i
0: got such first world problems but oh my god i could go on all day i've only
2: i've only been to two e3 so i wouldn't mind doing one more at least
0: so here's the plan with the pods um we are planning on doing live streams of from us to you throughout the week Um, mostly in the morning probably around 8 a.m pacific talking about all the announcements and all of the things that are going on through the show, you should come out and hang out with us before we head out to the show floor while we blearily drink coffee and uh, munch on our, um, well, you know, our foods, uh, our breakfast foods. By the
2: time Friday comes around, I bet the the pod, the stream is going to be like,
0: (laughs) Yes, no, that's exactly the noises that we'll be making for a full hour. Um, You should also, and we also plan to record an episode of Acts of the Blood God during that time, to talk about all of the inevitable rpg news so don't worry uh we will be gone but you will not be lacking for audio video content well no no the streams count as video yes yes exciting um so nadia we can find you at nadia oxford um and your blog tiny girl tiny games um A lot of people responded well to our discussion last week about uh, Valkyria Chronicles.
2: Yeah, I'm really glad that happened. Uh, A lot of people told me how they enjoyed the podcast, they enjoyed the article. So uh, thanks, everyone, for uh, listening and reading. We really appreciate it.
0: Yes, that left me with warm, happy thoughts in my heart. And I'm glad that you guys are appreciating the podcast. We appreciate you, too. We do. All your friends. Yes. (laughs) But, uh, yes, so we can find you in those places. Nadia, do you have anything else that you want to... Uh, plug uh
2: no just i hope everyone stays uh, happy and healthy through e3 this year and let's uh, try to get out of it alive
0: oh yeah i think they'll be staying happy and healthy because they'll be watching streams all day and <laughs> like uh, basically having that stuff on 24 7 and being excited for all of the new games we'll be doing all the groundwork. work Yay. but not to complain i'm i live to serve me too i live to serve all of you but until then well We are going to be signing off and heading off until the next great adventure at E3. Uh, Thanks for listening, and for Jeremy, Elliot, Nadia, and myself, we'll see you again really soon. Happy adventures.